listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So we have landed on Trinity Sunday. It's the hinge Sunday between Eastertide and Pentecost that lie behind us and the long season of ordinary time that lies ahead. And Trinity is a unique feast day in that it is not a story or an event or a particular person that's in view, but rather a doctrine, a creedal proclamation. The classically articulated doctrine of the Trinity that we will shortly join our voices to proclaim is that of the Nicene Creed, or more accurately, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. (laughs) How badly did you need to know that? It came into this form in 381, the Council of Constantinople as an expression meant to unify the churches, which it more or less managed to do. Think on that for a minute. It's not until 381 that the church had produced its widely agreed-upon way of speaking of the triune God. That's roughly 350 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, and almost 70 years since the Emperor Constantine had declared Christianity a legal and acceptable faith in the empire. It was, in fact, Constantine's act of taking Christianity out of the catacombs and out of the house churches and into the public square that made the creeds necessary. For while Christianity had already spread far and wide, it was now able to come out of the closet, so to speak. And so now, once it's in the public square, what is it that binds these Christian communities into one? What is their commonly held belief? So the creed. But what about those 350 years between Jesus and the Council of Constantinople? What was believed about the nature of God, the divinity of Jesus, the place of the Holy Spirit? Well, as it turns out, quite a number of things were believed, or at least a number of images and angles and lenses were used to try to make sense of things, often very poetically. Whereas the councils of Nicaea in 325 and Constantinople in 381 had used the language and discourse of Greek philosophy in order to say what it needed to say, the earlier way, the ancient way, the way of the apostles and of the apostolic church had been grounded in their experience. The church was, first of all, a Jewish movement, profoundly shaped by the radical monotheism of Judaism, in which the core creed was the Shema. In its earliest form, the Shema was just one verse from Deuteronomy. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one, or alternately, the Lord alone. That was the core proclamation in Judaism, their creed. Other gods, radical monotheism would argue, were but illusions, idols, ultimately nothing. And so the prophet Jeremiah could write, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. What a great image. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And it's interesting, he says specifically cucumbers. They cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it in them to do good. There is only one God and one only To this, Paul and Peter, James and John would not have hesitated to give their hearty assent. And yet, Jesus is Lord. Kyrios Jesus. This is the earliest confessional statement of the ancient church. And as I said two weeks ago in my sermon, saying Jesus is Lord is always silently echoed by the insistence that Caesar is not. But more than Lord, the ancient Christians also became convinced that Jesus was God. When the resurrected Christ appears to Thomas and invites him to set aside his doubts, come forward and touch his hands and his feet, Thomas falls back and declares, What? My Lord and my God. So powerful was the experience those earliest believers had of the presence of the resurrected Christ that they virtually had to use the language of God. So if Jesus is God too, well, then you have a problem, don't you? Because Jesus believed deeply and faithfully in the one God with whom he had a relationship so intimate that he could use the language of Father, Abba, for God. Do you now have two gods? God the Father, God the Son? No, impossible. Because they're still good Jewish radical monotheists. But the complications didn't even stop there. Because they were now living on the other side of the Pentecost. When God came amongst them in a whole new way. As what John in his gospel calls the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate. And the other writers call more simply the Holy Spirit, God's holy pneuma or breath. How to make sense of that when everything you've ever learned about God was summarized in the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, they were people formed in the Jewish tradition, and they had learned well from their rabbis. And so they knew that they needed to return to the ancient scriptures to help them make sense of these new experiences. And their things began to come together. I appreciate how N.T. Wright describes what unfolded. He writes, Deep inside classic Jewish monotheism, there lies a strange, swirling sense of a rhythm of mutual relations within the very being of the one God, 
a to and fro, a give and take, a command and obey, a sense of love poured out and love received. This is where the early Christians went, quarrying for language to deal with the phenomena before them, crafting a vigorous and very Jewish new tradition which took the language and imagery of spirit, word, law, presence, and wisdom from the Hebrew Scriptures and developed them in relation to the Jesus of recent memory and to the strange personal presence of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom. Which brings us finally to this evening's reading from Proverbs. Does not wisdom call, our reading began. Does not understanding raise her voice. Wisdom, in the Proverbs personified as a woman, a woman who stands at the crossroads, beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals where she cries out, To you, O people, I call. My cry is to all that live. She was, according to what we heard read tonight, she was created at the beginning of God's work, the first of God's acts of long ago, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When God established the heavens, I was there. Ah, they thought, just like the Spirit of God described as sweeping across the face of the waters in the opening chapter of Genesis as God begins to bring the creation into being. This sounds like that. God is one, yet God is rich, and there's more happening here. There is but one God, and yet, to borrow Bishop Wright's language, Within the very being of the one God, there is a rhythm of mutual relations, a sense of love poured out and love received. And they discovered, those disciples, those apostles, they discovered it's all there in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Spirit of God has come on upon us in a new way, but the Spirit of God has never been absent. In John's account, Jesus speaks of the Spirit as being the Spirit of truth who is coming to guide you into all the truth. And so would the ancient writer of the Proverbs wrote of the Lady Wisdom who's been present with God and in God since the beginning of time. Well, doesn't that sound like the Holy Spirit of the one God? Could it be anything else? Which is why... The lectionary has us read from Proverbs tonight on this Trinity Sunday to remind us this is more than just a day to recall a doctrine, thank goodness. It's rather a day all about what God gifts to us, all of it, life, a new life, grace, truth, and yes, Wisdom. Maybe more than ever, this world needs wisdom. This community needs wisdom. Each of us needs wisdom. 
Tomorrow evening, a good many of us will gather at St. John's Cathedral to celebrate Rachel's ordination as a priest. And in that ordination liturgy, we will sing an ancient hymn, Veni Creator Spiritus. That hymn opens with this verse. We'll sing, Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. And we will sing it together in thanksgiving for the gifts of the Spirit, but tomorrow we will sing it particularly for Rachel, that the gifting of God's Holy Spirit will be upon her. In light of tonight's scriptures from the book of Proverbs, I pray for you, Rachel, an ever-deepening and holy wisdom born of God's Spirit. May you be blessed by Hagia Sophia, God's holy wisdom in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a night in which we will stand together and proclaim the words of that ancient Nicene Creed as a proclamation of our faith, aware that words alone need the richness of experience and the grace of the Spirit. So we rise. We believe in one God, the Father and the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.